Well, I'm excited about our speaker tonight, and uh, I met Chris and Amanda Thorne a little over four years ago at a conference in Florida that Michelle and I uh, try our best to attend every single year, and I appreciate uh, their willingness to come on board our team uh, just very recently, and so I appreciate uh, their friendship the last several years, appreciate their willingness to come alongside and serve with us, and uh, we're looking forward to introducing them, hopefully this Sunday, but if weather says otherwise, we'll wait another week, and uh, we are watching the weather, making sure that we know exactly exactly uh, what to do to make sure that everyone is safe and uh, we make the best decision possible this upcoming weekend as far as Sunday's concerned. I uh, saw one re weather report that said we're supposed to get 14 inches and one that said we're supposed to get 3 inches and then one that said it's all coming in on Sundays and, and one that said it's all coming in on Saturday. So who knows? Uh, we're going to have a good time this weekend anyway, whether we're uh, at home watching online Snow Church or whether we're here at church, we're going to have a good time anyway. So I uh, hope that you get your Bible. Uh, Chris Thorne uh, has been all around the world, and I appreciate his willingness to speak tonight. I wanted you guys to hear him uh, preach uh, before we formally introduce him as our next pastoral staff member. Chris, you come and uh, share God's word with us tonight. Let's give him a hand for coming to preach tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Pastor Heath. Uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm not going to go deep into details about my story. I'll kind of wait a little bit into that and uh, share a little bit more, I guess maybe once I'm formally introduced. Uh, but just a quick backstory, backstory of my life. Uh, married to my wife, Amanda. We've been married 14 and a half years. Uh, we have two kids on this earth. Uh, our firstborn, he passed away back in 2012. Uh, that's a story I'll probably share many times throughout the the months and years to come because it's a very integral part of my story, my journey in my Christian life and my, my Christian walk. I'm a pastor's kid, uh, born and raised in the ministry. My dad's been a pastor for over 36 years. I'll be 40 this year, um, just serving in the same ministry in Indianapolis, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I've been in ministry myself, pastoral ministry, for 17 years and as a lead pastor the past eight years. So this is a transition, and Pastor Heath will announce a little bit more about what that's going to look like on the staff side of things here, hopefully this Sunday, if not the week after. But it's good to be here. I have preached before. I was trying to calculate this week how many times I've preached, and it's, it's one of those hard, hard things to do as a pastor. I mean, it's it's anywhere from probably eight to 1,100 times at minimum that I've preached. So I've got a few messages under my belt. Uh, John was asking me earlier, you know, do you have a message? I said, if I don't, I've got them all on my iPad, and I can just keep scrolling until I find the right one. So just stay with me for a few minutes until we find the right one, okay? Or whatever, all right. All right, well, it is the first uh, service of the year, so it's good to be here. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, this was one of my favorite series. I love preaching through books. Um, I won't have a lot of opportunities to preach and teach here, and that's okay. There's going to be some different things that I'll be doing. But uh, as a former lead pastor, I had a lot of opportunities to preach through books of the Bible, and it was one of my favorite things, as I know it's Pastor Heath's favorite thing as well. And Ecclesiastes was a very favorite series of mine uh, because of what God did in my life through the series and what he was doing in, in the life and ministry of our church in Texas there that I, I was the lead pastor at for nearly eight years but the passage tonight is a familiar passage to some. Uh, it's actually, I think, I think still, it's one of my mom's favorite passages, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. How many are familiar with this passage? It's the whole repetitive song and dance, a time for everything, basically. 29 times in this 
passage, the word time is used. So I'm pretty sure the preacher, who is Solomon, thought that it was an important thing for us to understand. So we're going to get into that here in just a few minutes. Uh, I like to be interactive in my messages, as I know your pastor does as well. I heard about the whole climbing ladder thing, right, a few weeks ago. That's epic. That's awesome. I've ridden a bike in church before. Uh, I've thrown dodgeballs at people. Uh, it wasn't supposed to happen that way, but it did. It was for a message, I promise you. I can't remember what the message was about, but uh, it was for that. I, I told them I've always wanted to zip line in. I don't know what it would do with anything, but I thought it would be fun and be cool. Anyway, we're not going to do that tonight. But how many have ever played with Legos? Anybody? All right. How many are just annoyed by it when you hear the word Legos sometimes? Yeah. Uh, I think many times. Uh, my oldest son, Nate, he's nine years old. He'll be 10 this year. He's getting into Legos over the past couple of years. And we've had many great and frustrating moments in our Lego journey. I remember, I think it was last year. Was it last year? that he got the AT-AT uh, from Star Wars, and it was like a 1,267-piece set. I think he and I, it took us like over 10 hours at least of just build time to put it together, and it was one of those frustrating builds because, you know, sometimes things aren't fitting right, or you mess up and you got to go back four or five pages. <laughs> Not just steps, but pages because something messed up. Um, and, and I was thinking about that. Even... I think even last year, earlier this year, he was building, I think, Bowser's airship because he's a big uh, Super Mario Brothers fan. And we, we got near the end. He, he was doing most of it himself. And we were looking for some pieces. And I was like, Nate, what are those pieces? Like, oh, those are important. Like, Nate, I'm pretty sure if it was in the box, if it was in the package, and it was in the directions, it's important. He's like, no, I don't think it's important. And we got to that step. Like, Nate, you needed those pieces. So again, we had to go back multiple pages to figure it out. And I started thinking about it in relation to what we're going to be talking about tonight, and really just life in general. It got me thinking. You know, life is kind of like a construction exercise. Our life is made up of so many different pieces, people, events, circumstances, times, places, that are all being locked together to make our individual stories. You know, it's easy to see certain parts as insignificant as my nine-year-old did. I, that's, not an, that's not a significant piece. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not worth anything, Dad. I don't really need it. You do need it. And it's very easy to think about our lives sometimes like, ah, it's kind of insignificant. This piece of the story is insignificant. Um, you know, but I, I think we can correlate a lot with Legos building as well as our life. At the same time, they're not all the same. You see, the biggest difference is we're not the ones with the instruction blueprint laid out in front of us. And what I mean is, God is. And the reality that I've had to face in my life over the past 17 years of ministry is that God is in control. I'm not. Talking about his sovereignty. I like to be in control. How many like to be in control, to be honest? It's probably most of us, if not all of us, in here tonight. And when things get rocked a little bit, we struggle. When things are out of our control, we struggle. I've been there. You've been there. You know, we all have individual pieces in front of us, so to speak, but only God has the master plans. We try to build our lives, but there's so much that is unknown that we cannot control. And again, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but that is my life. That is my story. 
All of us have a story to tell, and my story is unique to me. Your story is unique to you. There are things that I've gone through that are horrible for me, things that you've gone through that are horrible for you. All of us have a story, and our story is important because God is trying to teach us something in our story. And there's a lot of things in my life that have happened that I don't understand. Anybody there? Anybody with me? Many times, many, many times over. Again, I'm not going to get into detail about it, but, but losing our firstborn son back in 2012 at four and a half months of age was devastating. And the story behind it, because of a heart condition he had, it was devastating. It, it rocked my life and my wife's life. But God used that as an integral part of my story to help me realize that, one, I'm not in control, that he is, but also that I have to trust that there is someone that is in control that knows what's best for me, that knows what's best for my life. And here in Ecclesiastes, a great book, and I'm not going to give a whole rundown of the whole book, but really Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it's the preacher or Solomon who is kind of introducing his main theses, and it's really, you know, the idea that death kind of puts an end to the quest for greatness and gain. It's kind of that great equalizer. And instead it teaches us that we are simply part of the generation who came after the last and before the next. In chapter 2, the preacher brings together both the big picture, which is the whole of life, and the individual parts, which are the seasons of life. And as you get to chapter 3, there's a powerful pattern of poetry. And the statement in verse number 1, look with me if you would, to everything there is a what? A season. Now over the past year specifically of my life, I hate that word. And I may explain that more down the road why I hate it. Because I've learned that a season isn't always a specified amount of time. Sometimes our season isn't just three months. Sometimes our season is two years. Sometimes our season is 10 years. The season that I and my wife, my family are in right now is much longer than a six-month season. It seems like it's a, at minimum a two-year season that we've been in. And it's hard to go through a season that long. Because I think the, I think the hardest reason is we don't know when it is going to end. Right? Because we can't control anything. And there are a lot of adjectives that we can use to describe the word time. Because it says to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. You know, I, I came up with just a couple adjectives. And again, we're in church, so I'll make sure I use the right ones. But time is both annoying <laughs> and amazing right? Time is annoying and amazing. It's wearisome and wonderful. It's long and short. <laughs> I realize that time isn't always filled with comfort. Sometimes it haunts us. Sometimes, because it's fleeting and filled with sorrow, that seems to cancel out our joy. When I think when we were younger, you know, time couldn't go fast enough, right? And you're older, time can't slow down, <laughs> It just keeps going and going and going. And I think we all can agree that time so often frustrates, right? Now, that's not the whole message tonight because it is going to be an encouraging challenge. But I think of like sand in an hourglass, and that's our life. The Bible says our life is just what a vapor that appeareth, that is here for a little while and then vanishes away. And again, I think one of the biggest reasons why time frustrates us is that we cannot control everything that goes on in our life. And over the first 
seven, eight, nine verses, Solomon is affirming that God is at work in our individual lives. Because he gives this repetitive thing back and forth, these 14 statements of a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. And we're going to unpack a little bit of those tonight. But what he's doing is that he's, he's, he's helping us understand that God is orchestrating everything together. And the thing that I've realized in my life is that apart from God, and I want to I specify that first, apart from God, apart from Christ, life is meaningless. Right? And I, I think, especially on a Wednesday night, a midweek study, most of the people that are here would understand that statement. In that sentiment, that apart from Christ, life is meaningless, but with Christ, life has meaning, even though we don't understand. And even right now, there's some things in my life where I'm just struggling, like, what is my purpose? I had a great talk with Pastor Tim about that on Sunday. What, what is my purpose right now? Because things that I thought were going to happen haven't played out the way that I thought they should. And it leaves me wondering, God, what are you doing? But sometimes, and we'll get to this in a little bit, I think we're too close where we can't see the bigger picture. So tonight, for the next few minutes, I want to challenge you, encourage you, and maybe maybe this message is just for me. If it is, just sit back and enjoy me preaching to myself. But I dare say all of us can take something from this message. What I want to look at is really that there's a place for everything. I've given some notes, and if you want to follow along, that's great. But here, here's a key statement we're going to try to unpack, or the main idea. Life moves incessantly. <laughs> Remember, you aren't where you were. You won't always be where you are now. Every season of life, God is using to lead you to somewhere beautiful. If you're satisfied in him. Let me say that again. Because again, it's, it's for me, first and foremost. Life moves incessantly. Remember, you aren't where you were. You won't always be where you are now. Every season of life, God is using to lead you to somewhere beautiful, but only if you're satisfied in him. Two main truths we'll unpack. First of all, in this cursed world, time is meaningless. The poem here, and we're going to read the verses, but it expresses the beautiful complexity of life within these 14 statements. And, and I've preached messages on this where I actually unpacked every single one. That's not the message in, in, in its entirety tonight. So I don't want to spend too much time on that because I really want to get to the application. But follow along with me if you would. To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. So there are positives, there are negatives, and that's what we have here. Verse 3, a time to kill, a time to heal. This is not for spouses. Well, it's time for you to die. So anyway, let's go on. Uh, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to, re to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to eat, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised 
Anyway, let me pray before I really, really dive in. Heavenly Father, I love you. God, I thank you for this passage tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me for the next few minutes as I teach your word. Lord, truths that you have brought back to my life even over the past few days as I have been struggling in my heart, in my mind with so many things. And even knowing I had the opportunity to preach tonight, what do I preach? And I think you had to bring me back to this passage, this message, to help challenge me, to help remind me of what you're trying to unfold, not just in my life, but in the life of all of your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you. God, I pray that you'd give us a great 2024. Lord, we're thankful for Crossroads Baptist Church and the work that you are doing here. And we're excited about what is to come. God, I pray that you'd help us. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Again, in this cursed world, time is meaningless. Some of the opposites in this list can be grouped together into basic patterns of bad times and good times. And I just want to read just so we have it all. Again, there's a time for killing, a time for healing, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. And the, the, the writer continues. You know, as we go through chapter 1, the, the or as, we, as, as you moved on from chapter 1 to chapter, two, chapter 3, the form of the poem is part of the meaning of its content, meaning that life is complex. It's full of good times, hard times, in between times, and a whole manner of lifestyle choices and decisions often require wisdom that seems to escape us. And as the writer is suggesting, time for everything, meaning that life is a lyrical arrangement of good and bad, of relational complexity and nuanced subtleties. And at the end of it all, you can go in a box in the cold, hard ground because your life is going to be over. So it's what are you doing with the time that God has given you? Because unless God comes back, all of our lives will be over. We will, we will die. I'm not trying to discourage you, but that's the truth. Unless God comes back, our life is going to end someday. So what are we doing with the life that God has given us? And that's something that, that Solomon wrestled so hard with in his life. Alistair Begg said, The poem reveals the great absurdity of life because each activity cancels out the other. <laughs> a time to be born, but also there's a time to die. And he goes back and forth. He continues, he says, There are 14 pluses, 14 minuses. And if you're good at math, that adds up to? Anybody? Zero. Okay. Five people are good at math. Good. Every birth <laughs> often ends in death. Every planted crop is pulled up. Every building eventually will be condemned. Every celebration often gives way to a funeral. Every peace gives way to another war. Seems like nothing is gained. So you're like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? That's not encouraging at all. You're right. But it leads to the second point and really where we're going to really drive home the application in a few minutes. You see, when you read a passage like this, at least for me, you know what it does? It frustrates me even more. What's the purpose then? If everything just adds up to zero, well, what's the purpose? Write this down. All of our frustrations... What Solomon is teaching us is this. Our frustrations should drive you to Jesus. 
Our frustrations should drive you to Jesus. So when you're frustrated, it's not, I'm going to go take it out on this person, or I'm going to do this or put this in my body, and that's going to make everything better. No, when we're frustrated, the first and foremost person we should go to is Jesus Christ. Because only he is in control of everything. Only he can satisfy any of our longings. In verse 11, look with this. Look, look at this if you would. This is a very key and extremely difficult verse to understand. There's a difference in quoting a verse like this and understanding a verse. Verse 11, it says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God made everything beautiful, or perhaps a better way to say it is appropriate. In its time. Now, time calls us back to the poem to show that the author is now commenting on the times. The phrase he has made refers to God's initial act of creation, but it can also refer to everything that has been done since creation. The word translated beautiful or appropriate means God made everything good and right so that everything perfectly fits its own place and own time. Here's the bottom line. Listen to me. This phrase sums up the poem to show that God is the one in charge of these times and appointed activities, and it sets up what follows. The overarching point seems to be that God has appointed or ordained all of these things as part of his bigger hidden plan. As Matt Chandler points out, we are often like a child in the Y stage. Don't you love that stage? Your children, anybody have children that are in that stage? I have two, a nine and a six-year-old. And it doesn't matter if they get older. They're still in the why stage. Why are we doing this? Why, 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 why? Because I said so. But I've realized as an adult, I'm still in that why stage. I just think I'm better, but I'm not. But Matt Chandler points out, we're like a child in that why stage. Listen, he says, when you tell a child in the why stage to do something, he or she can ask why to infinity and beyond. And eventually, you have to say with exasperation, because I told you so. In a sense, we cannot handle all of the whys of God's plans. So you know what he tells us? Even though you cannot understand, even though you cannot see the whole picture, even though you cannot know it all, I want you to trust in me because I can. And and that phrase, it really stuck me this week. Because, look, I have been in the why stage. And there's a reason why I've been in the why stage for so long. And this message is helpful, but it's not going to just magically transform me out of it. But I've been here, and, and God had to remind me of this, that, you know what, Chris, even though you cannot know the whole why, you can trust in me. You can trust my plan. You can trust my purposes. And if you're a child of God, No matter what has happened in your life, you look back, God has always been there. Every step of the way. Leading you, guiding you, directing you, having compassion on you, showing you his grace, his mercy, his love, his truth. And here, then, is the main idea of Ecclesiastes 3.11. And how it fits with this absurdity of life that was described earlier. Look, we perceive and long for better things than this cursed misery that life brings. 
But the problem is we cannot see the full picture. So we have to learn to lean on God. We're trapped between time and eternity. And we must trust that God uses the details to work out a grander plan. You see, some of the biggest frustrations on life stem from the fact that we have such a small vantage point. Meaning we can only see what's right in front of us and not the bigger picture. As I've often described in my preaching, and I'm sure Pastor Heath has maybe even used an illustration like this before, it'd be like someone in a Goodyear blimp that can see down and look on the whole horizon and see everything. When, when you're the one on the ground, all you see is what's in front of you or around you, and that's it. You don't see everything. You don't see that there might be danger lurking around the corner. All you see is what's right in front of you at your small vantage point, and that's where we are in our life sometimes. We see that small vantage point, and it doesn't make sense, God. God, you've messed up. God, my, my life isn't going the way I want it to go. God, everything is broken. Everything is messed up. Why are you doing this? Hey, 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 calm down. You can't see the bigger picture. Alistair Begg says this, God wants you to be dissatisfied until you come to fellowship with him. And you will never be satisfied, listen to this, without him. Never. Go ahead and try. I challenge you. Try to find satisfaction apart from Christ. But there's a man who wrote a book called Ecclesiastes that sought and sought and sought and tried to find satisfaction apart from Christ. And you know what he's telling us thousands of years later? I couldn't find it because only Christ can satisfy. A guy that had everything from what the world says. A thousand women. I don't know why you want that many, but a thousand women. All the money, anything and everything he could have and he was at his disposal and yet he was still searching and still longing and still searching and, and there, there's got to be something. All of that frustration really eventually what it did was it drove him back to Christ and it should drive you back to Christ. Augustine, I love this statement, he said, God, you made us for yourself. And I love this statement. You've probably heard it before. Yet our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Oh, man, I've learned that in my life. So many times I am restless, and the reason I am restless is because I am not finding rest in my Savior. I'm trying to find rest in anything and everything but him. All your frustrations, listen, church, should not drive you further from Christ. I want to encourage you this year. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It's behind you. It's past. Let 2024 be the year when your frustrations, and they're going to come if they haven't already. Let this be the year where your frustrations drive you to Christ, closer to him. You see, there's no such thing as lasting happiness and joy apart from Christ. He wants us to learn this lesson. We tend to look back and, and think of how good it was. My wife has to remind me of that so many times. She's like, you're like the children of Israel. Well, stop. You know, preaching to me. I don't need that. <laughs> but we know what I'm talking about. The children of Israel, they got out of Egypt and like, man, I just wish I could have gone back. Because it was so much better there. I mean, there's a part of me that's thinking that because I look back at my life at different phases and it's like, man, at least I had a house. Not in someone else's basement. Like, it would have been better to, but then it's like, I'm no different. <laughs> because just going back to that doesn't take away all of the hardships or the Maybe the toxicity or the difficulties like the Israelites faced. 
you know, we often do or say things like, man, just life just stinks. Now, when this is our attitude, stay with me here. We miss out on something vitally important in our Christian life. And I'm not saying your life isn't bad at times. But when we just have this repetitive attitude of just life is horrible, it stinks, it's, nothing is going good, here's what we miss out on our Christian life. The goodness of God. I've heard that's one of pastor's favorite songs, right? As well as Love Lifted Me. Heard of that today. Inside joke. Anyway. Listen to this statement Carrie Schmidt made. He said, if now is always negative, I love this, your imagination will remember yesterday for its positives, dream of tomorrow for its possibilities, and then see today's negatives at the expense of its blessings. And that's what we do. It's just negative. Everything in my life is negative. If that's our view of life, then we're going to miss out on God's blessings. Most of us would rather have blessings than burdens, I dare say. God mixes the bad, the good, the joys, the pains together to make something beautiful. And here's a very important truth. God uses both pleasure and pain as part of his plan to conform us into his image, to the image of his son. Because he loves us way too much, and this is for me, to allow us to stay where we are. Because even if you're like, well, where I am, it's pretty good. But the Christian life is a constant journey towards Christ. Meaning, until you get to heaven, you've never arrived. No matter how long you've been saved. No matter how much of your Bible you've studied. And that's something I've realized as a pastor's kid and, and, and talking to so many other pastors and, and ministry people. Um, when I first got to Texas, my first pastorate, uh, pastor ministry uh, the founding pastor was there, just a phenomenal man, Don Spain. Uh, he was upper 80s at the time. He just passed away this past year. Um, I think he was 92 years old. But amazing man. And <laughs> get choked up just thinking about him. But th the thing is, I learned so much from him because of his attitude, his humility. And there were times he was like, Brother Chris, I just want you to know you're my pastor. I'm here to do whatever you feel the Lord wants me to do. And just the attitude of humility, I'm just thinking like, what can you learn from me? What could I teach you? Because at the time, I'd been in ministry for nearly 10 years, but never been a lead pastor. And I'm thinking, what could I teach you? And yet, time and time again, in my office or in his home, we sat together and he shared things that God had taught him through my preaching and teaching. Because he realized that no matter where I am, there's still more for me to learn. There's still more of God's blessings to partake of. So understand that God uses pleasure and pain to conform us into his image. Look, I, I felt that my life has been an endless season of turmoil at times, and I'm sure you have as well. An endless season of stress and pain and discomfort and joy and gladness and sorrow and hurt and frustration and confusion and eagerness and anticipation. It's, it's, it's like this, a time for this, a time for that. It's this negative, positive balance. This teeter-totter back and forth. And I think of that, that's why it led me to this passage today. In my own way, I felt life lately has been my own Ecclesiastes 3 bouncing between life's burdens and blessings. 
And I want you to listen to this. I'm almost done. But I think God brought this back to my mind to teach me or reteach me, <laughs> remind me of something important. And it's this. I have to embrace every season, no matter what it brings. And anticipate the beauty that God is building me into his image. Let me say that again. I have to embrace every season, no matter what it brings. Because, let's stop there for just a second. Think about the seasons of the year. Fall, winter, spring, summer. Every season has good and bad. How many love winter? All right, about 10 of us. But those that love winter, I'm sure with confidence that there's some things that you don't like about winter. Right? Of course. You may love snow until the snow causes you to be in an accident. <laughs> or it causes the tree to fall on your car. <laughs> you see, what I'm saying is that there is beauty in the season, but there's also burdens. So we have to embrace every season, no matter what it brings, and anticipate the beauty that God is building us into his image. Listen, too often we find ourselves on the human side of things, meaning our perspective can't see how things right now can be beautiful. And maybe you're there even right now. How can what I'm going through, fill in the blank, be perceived as beautiful? Anybody ever been there? How can this be beautiful? How can cancer be beautiful? How can death be beautiful? Let me go back to just two aspects of my story. In 2019, I got viral meningitis. It nearly killed me. How could that be beautiful? 2012, I lost my firstborn son, my wife and I. How could that be beautiful? But as I look back, as I've come a few years from there, I've seen that I was too close at the time and that God used both of those to shape me. And as you shape me, shape others. I didn't always have the right attitude. But when I did, I realized that even though there is burdens, there can also be blessings. And right now, as bad as it is, can also be beautiful. Look, I have my own list of things that I can share, and so do you. Again, how can we do this? Life might not look beautiful right now, but here's what God is telling us. You're too close, too close. And you can't step far enough back in order to see, so you're going to have to trust me. I think of John 10.10 where Jesus is telling us that, hey, I didn't come like a thief in the night to kill, to destroy. You know what Jesus tells us in John 10? I came to bring you life and life more abundantly. You know what that means? I, I came to help you thrive <laughs> in your Christian identity. There's a story of a man named Mikel Melamed. His story is an amazing story, and we don't have time to go into all of it. But he was born with muscular dystrophy and really wasn't given much of a chance to live. Fast forward many years of his life, and I can't remember the exact date, but I, th I think it was around 2011. I could be wrong. 
but he competed in the New York City Marathon. It's a big deal. <laughs> Over 15 hours and 20 minutes after the race started, Mikel finished that race. Now, 15 hours and 20 minutes is a long time to do anything. Hours and hours and hours prior, the final runner before him had, had finished. I mean, it's midnight, well past midnight, yet he crossed the line. And something stuck out about his story. And it's basically the attitude that he had. And it's basically this. He, he couldn't run the race. He had to walk it because of the muscular dystrophy. See, every step that he took was painful. I can't even imagine how much pain that must have been. Later on, he's actually competed, completed five marathons. He's repelled mountains. He's done some amazing things. But his attitude was basically this. If I can't run the way I want to, I choose to walk with Jordan. Man, that's good. And church, I want that to be my attitude. If I can't run life the way that I want to, I want to choose to walk with Jordan. Meaning that I can accept each season of life as a gift <laughs> from God and as a glimpse into his goodness. God created seasons to drive us closer to him. He uses both pleasure and pain to conform us to the image of his son. You know, if times are good, don't always be looking for the bad times. They're coming, I promise you. If times are bad, good times are coming. But just understand, try not to always look forward to something and miss out on what's right in front of you. Instead, try to learn rest and joy. And again, I'm saying this for myself. Even the depth of feeling that he's letting you experience what you're experiencing now, there's a purpose in it. So maybe as we start this new year, you and I need to lay some things down. You and I need to lay some aspects of control down. And I close with this statement. I want you to, here's what I want you to do in 2024. I want you to cherish every season and love what God is doing right now despite the trials. Cherish every season and love what God is doing right now despite the trials. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for this, this day, this lesson. Lord, this opportunity. I'm thankful for this church. I know we haven't met everyone, but I'm thankful for the work that you have been doing at Crossroads Baptist Church, not just the past year, but the past, past many years. Thank, thankful for the work and ministry of Pastor Heath and Michelle and their family and the staff and the, the leadership team that he has put in place. And Lord, this isn't a perfect church. There is no perfect church on this earth because it's filled with imperfect people. But Lord, help us not to get so hung up on our own trials that we miss out on what you're trying to teach us. Because honestly, I've been there and you know it. And when I miss out on the beauty in the burden, I can't truly do what you've called me to do. And that's help other people. Because even in my pain, I can still point someone back to you.
That's the gospel. Lord, we love you. I pray that you'd help us in 2024 to cherish right now. Because right now, no matter how bleak it is, how bad it is, it's pretty special because you're working. I love you. In Christ's name I pray.